We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. In our church, we've learned that there's nothing that we can do that is quite as effective at reaching people as simply equipping our members to carry the gospel to people outside of the church. It's not programs that reach people. It's not mailers that reach people. It's not sermons that reach people. It's people that reach people. And it is individual people um, having a relationship with one person that they're using that relational bridge to, to share the gospel with them and live the gospel out in front of them. That is the heart of the Great Commission. It's multiplying disciples, making multiplying disciples. So my one is uh, a guy that is one of my uh, high school daughter's teachers that we just really hit it off. He's not from the United States. Uh, he's new to Christianity, but he's just got a ton of questions. And in the last six months or so, he's accepted two of my invitations to come. And I come to one of our church services. I invited him recently to, to begin reading the Gospel of John with me, which he, uh, he said, I sat down to read the Gospel of John, just a chapter or two. He said, by the time I, I got up from my chair, I'd read the entire thing. And he showed me he had these just pages and pages of, of notes and questions that he said, I can't wait to discuss. He's agreed to start coming to church regularly now. So I'm praying that the day will soon come when I will see him express faith in Christ. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? In chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, we begin to see that there was a plan that was taking place. And though this plan met many obstacles, though this plan had to be altered somewhat, these men did not lose sight of the plan. The Bible tells us in chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Verses 17 through 26. Now, it happened on a certain day. As he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in. Because of the crowd, they went up to the housetop and laid him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately, I love that word in the scriptures. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. 
And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. This is God's holy word. God, as we do come before you, we thank you. We praise you and we lift you up, for you are worthy. So God, this day, may you be glorified in everything that we say and do. And whatever is said, God, in this moment, we pray that you would move and minister, that you would fix the broken words, that you would fashion them in the hearts of each one here, that you would form them in a way, God, that the gospel would be clear. And God, in the midst of it all, we'll give you praise. And God, if there's one that doesn't know you for the forgiveness of sin, this would be a wonderful day to know you. This would be a wonderful day for their life to be changed. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. And we pray that their hearts would submit to you. This we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we look upon this passage, Jesus, we find there in verse 16... That Jesus had been spending time in the wilderness with his father. He had healed a leper who had came and fell on his face and implored him to make him clean. The leper acknowledged that, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, when I read that, I, my mind went back into the Old Testament. My mind went back to the book of Daniel. It went back to the scene where those Hebrew boys were standing before Nebuchadnezzar when they were faced with being cast into the fire. They essentially said this same thing that, Lord, if you be willing. Because what takes place in Daniel's book, it says Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That you do not serve my gods or worship the golden, the gold image which I have set up. Now if you are ready at the time to hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music. And you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> we have no need to answer you <laughs> in this manner. If that is the case, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, in other words, if it's not his will, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. 
I wonder how many of us today are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of us are like this leper? This leper, this leper had this same mindset as these three boys. And you know what's interesting is that if even if Jesus had not healed him, it was not going to change his mind who Jesus was and what Jesus was able to do. It wasn't going to change. It wasn't going to make a difference in the mind of this leper that Jesus is still Lord. As a matter of fact, he makes the statement, Lord, if you are willing. And I think more of us need to get this in our minds. Just as this leper, just as these Hebrew boys, we need to focus more on the Lord's will for our lives than what we want him to do in our lives. So when we don't get that promotion that we're praying for, or we, that we don't get that job opportunity that we've been praying on, or that we hear that we've been diagnosed with cancer in spite of all our pleading to the Lord, or, or we find out our loved one is terminally ill despite going to the Lord on our face, it still doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is gracious. It doesn't change the fact that he's loving. It doesn't change the fact that he's the hope for us, even if his will is not lined up with our will. Because it's our will that needs to line up with his will. It's when we are, it's when we do this. It's when we are focused on Jesus' will. We begin to focus on what he wants to do through us in spite of our circumstances. Rather than what we want him to do to prevent these circumstances in our lives. These circumstances don't come just by chance. They don't come to hurt and harm us. But these circumstances come to grow our faith in who Jesus is. So here we come to this passage and we find that sometime after Jesus had been in the wilderness, spending time with the Father in prayer, now on a certain day he's teaching. What's obvious is that those who were listening to his teaching noticed the power of God that was upon him. But not just any power, but the Bible says it was the power to heal. What's not a coincidence here is that Jesus had just been spending time with the Father alone. And now the power to heal is evident with him being there. Now, hold on. I'm not saying in any way that if we go and spend time in prayer or we spend time in God's word or, or we spend time in fasting that we'll have the power to heal the sick. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when we've spent time with the Lord, <laughs> others will know that there's a power in us that some just don't have. It's a power that's not of this world, a power that we weren't born with, but it's a power that comes from a, a much higher power. Well, how will they notice this? Well, there are things that you just can't help but noticing about people whenever people have been spending time with the Lord. After spending time with the Lord, we seem to have the power to be joyous no matter our circumstance. After spending time with the Lord, we seem to have the power, the, um, the, the love no matter how we've been treated. After spending time with the Lord, we seem to have the power to be gentle, long-suffering, and kind. After 
us spending time with the Lord, we seem to have the power to have more self-control. After spending time with the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God manifests himself more in our lives to where the world is able to see him and less of us. Here, the power of the Lord was evident in Jesus. For the Pharisees and the leaders of the law from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem were gathered around him. And while these men were gathered around him, there were some men who put a plan in action. This plan that was put in action wasn't just any plan, but it was a plan to bring their friend to Jesus. Seeing the power to heal, being present there, these men went to get a friend who was paralyzed. They decided they had to bring him to Jesus if he was to ever get the help that he truly needed. It appears no doctor, no medicine, no, no, um, no soothsayer, no magic man, no medicine man was able to help this man. It appears that they were all out of options and were desperate to get him to Jesus. They were so desperate that they didn't bother to take him out of bed. They didn't wash him up. They didn't clean him up. They didn't dress him in fine clothes before taking him to Jesus. Instead, the men picked up the bed and brought the bed with the man in it to the house where they knew Jesus was at. And I wonder just how desperate are we to get our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors to Jesus. I hope we really Realize that no matter what people are going through in this life, no matter their circumstance, the true help that they need is only found in Jesus Christ. More than anyone, more than anything, anyone in this world, we need Jesus more than anyone else. We need Jesus more than a doctor. We need him more than medicine. We need him more than luck. We need Jesus. And these men knew that their friend needed to be brought before Jesus. It's because in him, regardless of what the world throws at us, we have a hope for a better tomorrow. In Jesus, weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. When we get so desperate to see our loved ones and friends come to Jesus, we won't bother trying to enforce our traditions on them. We won't push them to walk like us or talk like us or even dress like us. We won't push our style of worship or our favorite style of music upon them. Instead, we'll focus on bringing them to Jesus and let Jesus be the one to change their lives. Brother Kent, he, he exampled that just, this, just yesterday. It was Brother Kent's plans yesterday to go visit his uncle in the hospital. And as he was leaving the hospital, Brother Lawton came to his mind. And when Lawton came to his mind, he turned around and he went to Lawton's room. And, and there he shared 
the gospel. This was after he just shared his testimony with Lawton. I had shared with Lawton that he didn't have to have a preacher around. I had shared with Lawton that he didn't have to have other people around. He just needed to talk with God, and he was in a place where he could really get to get with God, and they could get on one accord if he'd just call out to him. I had assured him that that God would answer his prayer, but 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 Brother Kent went by, and when he went by, he shared his testimony with Lawton. You know, when, when Miss Anita called me to tell me about this, she, she said, I want to tell you, preacher, he testified to him. I don't know everything he said, but what he said was enough that he became real to Lawton. And Lawton, now we call him Brother Lawton. I made that mistake all week when he was lost, but today I can call him Brother Lawton. I can call him that because he shared with me yesterday that Jesus was his Lord. Yes. Amen. yes. Uh, how this took place, I wasn't there. <laughs> Miss Anita wasn't there. Kent had left after sharing his testimony. Miss Anita had went to go get along something to eat. When she come back, Brother Roger showed up in the room and and they were just talking and he began to drop hints. <laughs> he just began to drop hints. And then all of a sudden, eventually, she caught one of those hints. And when she caught the hint and realized what he was saying, she went to rejoice in it. And I want to let you know that, that when he is real in our lives, we have to let somebody know. He's been real in Brother Kent's life. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I've noticed it. There's been something about this man unique since he's come to know the Lord. He's wanting to learn more about him. He's faithful here on Sunday morning. He's faithful on Wednesday night. He's faithful to that door. Even when no one's at the door, he's going to be there because the Lord's made a change in his life. And he's wanting to follow God's plan for his life. You know what Brother Kent did? He went to see a man who needed to get to Jesus. He didn't need to get well first. He didn't need to get where he could to wash and change his clothes first. He didn't need to get out of the hospital first and get to the church. He needed Jesus right where he was at. And now, now that he's received Jesus as his Savior, he'll bring Jesus home with him. When Jesus came to earth, his plan was to do the will of the Father. His plan was to seek and to save those who were lost. And today, his plan is it's still in effect. He is still seeking to save those who are lost. He still, but he uses the church, his bride, those of us who've been born again to reach out to the lost, to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, our church council and I have bought into this and we believe this right here. We believe this is a plan that God wants for this church. Who's your one? And folks, we've shared with you that if this plan's going to work, we must diligently seek the Lord for our one. We must join the Lord as he seeks to save the lost. My prayer is that all of us, all of us are putting this plan into action. We've got one moved. I'm ready to see more moved. I don't know who had this name. I know Miss Anita wasn't in the room. I, I'm thinking it was Miss it was Miss Francis who put this name up here, and now she's got a new one that she can go find. Oh, we're going to celebrate. 
As soon as he's able. I told her yesterday, I said, Miss Anita, y'all got to hurry up and get back to the church. Because I don't know if I can hold this until he's well enough to get here. Somebody's got to tell this. She said, preacher, tell it. Don't wait for us. Just tell it. (laughs) Isn't he good? Listen, we can't lose sight of his plan. These men put a plan in action. They were going to get their friend to Jesus. But you know, whenever we put things into action, discouragement comes along the way. We find that we face problems. We encounter problems whenever we're trying to follow some plan. And here these men, they encountered a problem. There wasn't just the one problem here, but there were two problems in the text. And, but these men encountered a problem. It was a, a physical problem that they encountered. The men brought their paralyzed friend to where Jesus was. But because of the crowd, they weren't able to bring him into Jesus' presence. Can you imagine everything that's going on in their minds at this time? Once they realized they couldn't get this bed in, all sorts of doubt, I'm sure, began flooding some of them. All this work we've done, it's been for nothing. We might as well just take him back home. We can't get him in. Or it, it just, this is one that we'll use. Well, it must not be God's will. How about this other one that we'll use? Well, the devil's just defeated us again. You know, I'm not too sure that the devil had anything to do with this. I say that because there was a multitude of people around this man, Jesus, listening to him teach the word and the truth of God. If he was going to be into anything, he was going to try to deter anyone from hearing the truth. It was just a crowd of people. Here, I said that to say this. Don't let people deceive you, folks. If you belong to Jesus, there ain't a devil in hell that can take you away from him. People want to tell you that people are possessed with the devil. They are if they're lost. But if a Christian is possessed with the devil, it's because they've never been born again. Darkness and light can't dwell together. The enemy can't be where the presence of God is. He can't dwell there. No matter what preachers, no matter what so-called prophets, no matter what churches or denominations may tell you, if Jesus is there, he's got to flee. Yeah, I don't, not so sure the devil had much at all to do with this. It seems to me that a problem presented itself so that it could be recorded so that you and I could be encouraged in our times of doubt, in our times of discouragement, whenever we're faced with problems. How often have we gotten discouraged and just given up? How often has a problem presented itself and we just walked away? How often have we become so discouraged that doubt just begins to creep in? When I was, when I was in college, I had started coaching Little League Baseball in high school. When I had my second knee surgery, I couldn't finish that season, and I started coaching Little League. In my senior year, my knee was still so weak I couldn't play that last year, and the coach wouldn't work with me. So 
I just gave it up and and went on and the next and what I saw was some men trying to put my brother in the same position I was in and I said this ain't going to happen to him I may suffer with these knees but he won't do it so I got involved and I I, I kept coaching and kept coaching I fell in love with it and I, I realized I was a better coach at baseball than I was a player and I fell in love and this is what I was going to do I was going to teach and I was going to coach and while I was in, in in college I had this professor when I got to the education department who was a former superintendent and I'm glad he was a former superintendent but he was a former superintendent of one of our surrounding counties and for some reason he decided to pick me out of the crowd Asked me to stand up and ask, why are you in education? Why are you taking these classes? Why are you in this program? I'm a PE major. I want to coach. And that's, that's why I'm here. He said, well, you got no business in education. And my response was, professors like you are why I won't continue in education. I finished this class and I didn't take no more. I allowed this man... To discourage me so. There wasn't a day that I ever worked a power, on a power line crew that I felt this is where I need to be. There was never a day in my life when I walked home and I said, I'm so glad I'm doing what I'm doing. There wasn't a time in my life when we, when we finished getting people's power on after storms that I felt like I had done something worthy of this job. There was never a time in my life where I felt like God was in what I was doing. And it's because I allowed someone to discourage me. Listen, we can't, we can't allow discouragement to rule our lives. These men here instead, here they are. They, they're faced with, with this task of, of trying to get their friend to Jesus and, and all the doorways are blocked. So instead of allowing discouragement to reign, they found another way. They didn't give up so easily. They didn't take him back home. Instead, they took him to the roof. They opened the roof and laid him down and threw the tiling into the midst of Jesus. There he was. Oh, this act of faith, not letting their discouragement rule, provided encouragement to them. The Bible says that Jesus said to the, to the man, man, your sins are forgiven. But then there was a spiritual problem that presented itself right on the heels of those words. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And a spiritual problem jumped up. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason and accuse Jesus of speaking blasphemies. They were acknowledging that the only that only God could forgive sin. The spiritual problem here is that they just did not realize that Jesus himself was God. Jesus is God, has always been God, and will always be God. He is God in the flesh. And just because Jesus took on earthly flesh didn't change the fact that he is, he was, and always will be God. While in the flesh on earth, he was 100% man, but he was still 100% God. Jesus, while on earth in flesh, he possessed all power and authority as God. But while on earth, he submitted himself 
to the will of the Father. He took on the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and was obedient even to the point of death and the death of the cross. But to prove to the doubters the power that Jesus had to forgive sins, he commanded the man to get up and walk. And immediately, (laughs) immediately, a man who was paralyzed immediately stood up, took his bed, and departed the house. This man, he was instantly healed. There was no need for physical therapy. He didn't need braces. He didn't need crutches. He didn't need canes. He simply just got up and he walked. And this same spiritual problem exists today. So many believe Jesus was a great man, but they failed to see him as God. They failed to see him as equal with God simply because he humbled himself and gave his life as a ransom for you and me. People say that he was just a man. (laughs) They failed to see that because he humbled himself to the point of death, now God has highly exalted him Philippians 2 9 through 11 the Bible says God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name is that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow to those of those in heaven of those on earth of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father hooks along the way as we continue to put this plan in place this plan of who's your one i'm sure there's going to be times where problems will present themselves to us there'll be times when we will become discouraged but we can rest assured that the lord is god we will see he will see us through our job is to is to continually look to seek jesus face on behalf of our one and to bring our one to jesus just as they are they don't have to get cleaned up god don't want them to get cleaned up he wants to clean them up We cannot bring conviction on them, nor can we save them, but Jesus can, and he is willing to convict them, to forgive them, and to save them. Yes, I'm convinced with this plan of action in place, if we'll trust the Lord and follow through, we may have days and weeks, even months of discouragement, But there will also be days and weeks and months and years that we will be as those who witness the healing of this paralyzed man. I'm convinced that we will all be amazed and we will all glorify God as we get the opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to witness a lost sinner become a child of the king. Yes. I'm looking forward. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to seeing those admit that they are a sinner in need of a savior. I'm looking forward as they begin to believe with all their heart that Jesus is the Son of God, 
that he lived a sinless life and he died on an old rugged cross. And on the third day, under his own power, he arose from the grave. And at the appointed time, he's coming back to receive us to himself. I'm looking forward to seeing those who've admitted and believed then confess Jesus is Lord and Lord of their life. How about you? Are you excited about this? Folks, we can't lose sight of the plan. It's not my plan. It's not J.D. Greer's plan. It's not Johnny Hunt's plan. It's not the North American Mission Board's plan. It's God's plan. That we win the loss. Jesus' mission, his plan on earth was to seek and to save those who are lost. That has to become our plan. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart and you must be willing to serve Him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.